0: my 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 what is it about those tuckers <laughs> is it the water they drink or what a message what a gospel message that was thank you brother it fits right into what i want to talk about this morning which is faith and our faith which is founded on the mercy and the love of god there's a lot to say about that but First, I just want to say how good it is to be back. Uh, Linda and I had a week off, and it was wonderful. We're in South Carolina. I want to thank Renee for preaching this last Sunday. People are here, so I'm assuming you didn't run them off, so that's good. That's good. (laughs) Appreciate you preaching. I also appreciate that, uh, that travel bag for my golf clubs. That was nice. And I want you to know that course we talked about did not disappoint. My swing disappointed, but the course didn't, But it's always good to go back, it, and it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter where you go, when you come back to Waco, you're glad you got here, that's how I feel. Linda and I were driving in, we are thinking, you know, we just came from paradise, and it's so good to be home, it's so good to be home. I feel like that when coming back to church on Sunday morning, it's so good to be home, and I hope that you feel like that as well. I want to continue talking about faith, as I mentioned a moment ago. You won't be surprised. We've been working on that subject for quite some time. Faith matters, what it means to believe, what it really means. And I've broken it down to different topics. If you go ahead and put those topics up here, we talked about salvation and works, faith and courage, divine guidance, how faith plays into the way God guides us, faith and perseverance, Faith in prayer. We took two weeks talking about faith in prayer, the importance of faith in prayer, and what about when prayers don't get answered? How does that connect up with our faith? This morning, faith and magic. A number of people have told me they've been waiting for faith and magic. <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint. Faith and magic. I might as well tell you right now that I am not seeing faith as in any meaningful sense connected with magic. To the contrary, I want to draw a contrast between faith and what you might call magical thinking. So many years ago, I was really a young man teaching a Sunday school class, and we had a couple in that class that came almost every week, an older couple. He was a tall, strapping man, and his wife was just so devoted to him. You could see it. He would travel on for, for business probably two or three times a month, and so he would miss some classes. But whenever he's in town, he was always there, and his wife was always there without fail. But then he became ill, and he became ill with HIV because on these business trips... He was engaged in illicit and dangerous behavior, and he contracted the HIV virus. This was, as I say, many years ago, and he developed full-fledged AIDS, and this tall, strapling man began to start just withering away before your eyes. Someone asked me to go see him in the hospital, and so I went. I wasn't their pastor, but I was a friend and Sunday school teacher. I went to see them. By that time, I could hardly believe my eyes. This man looked like nothing but skin and bones laying there in bed. I reached out my hand, he reached out his. As we held hands, I felt It's like fire in his body. The fever was burning him up. And he said, by his stripes, I am healed. That's a quotation from scripture. By his stripes, I am healed. Where did that come from? Why did he say that? Well, I knew instantly he was drawing from The Word of Faith teachers, maybe you've heard of the Word of Faith movement, maybe you haven't. Sometimes it's referred to as the health and wealth gospel that they preach. But the essential idea is that if you put your faith in the promises of God and you confess those promises, your faith overtakes your circumstances. And that means, among other things, you have been healed by God 2,000 years ago when Christ was on that cross, by his stripes, you were healed. That's what's taught. So what you have to do is get your faith in line with the facts. As one faith teacher puts it, God's already done everything he's going to do for your healing. He's not going to do anything. You must do something. Put your faith in his word and then you will be healed. So he holds my hand. His hand is burning. He says, by his stripes, I am healed. <sighs> so there's his wife sitting next to the bed, and there are his two sons who are in the room. And I couldn't th- help but think, there's so much that needs to be said in this family. There needs to be so much forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation these boys, they need to hear from their father something real, something real. For a lot of years, his profession of faith was unreal. Now it needed to be real. There was so much business to tend to, so many important things that needed to be done. We couldn't talk about any of that. We couldn't talk about any of that because he, wanted me to know he was believing God for a miracle. He was believing God that he was going to be raised up. So what was I going to do? I prayed with him. I prayed that God would do a miracle, and I left the room feeling like something wrong is happening here. Something wrong is taking place. I didn't yet understand it, and I didn't really have a vocabulary for it. But in retrospect, I would say here we had not faith, but magical thinking. And it was rooted in a view of faith that is fundamentally unbiblical. I'm going to turn to some passages in Scripture to deal with this. But before I do, I've got to set the context put this man's experience and the experience of so many others in the context of what's happened in our nation over the past 150 years because our understanding of faith has been skewed by a view of things that is not biblical. And it wasn't biblical for this man. Two weeks later, he was dead and his family had to grieve with unfinished business. What about that? Well, if you go back millennia, you'll see that people have always gravitated toward magic. Whenever times are tough, they gravitate toward magic. And by magic, I mean this. It it comes in many different forms, and it's defined in different ways, sometimes precisely by anthropologists, sometimes loosely by the rest of us. But it it always involves somehow controlling what happens in the world through the use of mental visualizations or affirmations, through the use of spoken words, or through the enacting of ritual rituals. Uh, rituals, rituals. Those are ritual rituals as opposed to non-ritual rituals. <laughs> I was on vacation. You get rusty. Rusty. Ritual actions. Let's call them that. Ritual actions. In other words, magic is rooted in the idea that that there is a spiritual power in the world. It's conceived of in different ways. Sometimes it involves gods and goddesses. Sometimes it involves demons. Sometimes it doesn't. It can just refer to a kind of power, prana, some force in the world. It comes in many different forms. But the idea is that we can, through our thoughts, through our words, and through our ritual rituals, we can change what happens in the world. And so you'll see shamans do that. Shamans teach their disciples how to heal people, how to send curses, how to do all sorts of things through their minds, through their words, through their rituals. That's magic. Now, in 19th century America, there was a a resurgence, you could say, of magical thinking in North America. It's very interesting. It didn't involve all the spooky stuff, not all the spirits and that sort of thing. Instead, the practitioners of this form of magic spoke of scientific laws, spiritual laws that were consistent with science. They formed a number of different groups. Together, they were generally called new thought. And, And these groups, because they existed in a Christian culture, spoke of positive imaging and positive speaking as expressions of faith. They called it faith because it involved believing that you're going to be healed, believing that you're going to get rich, believing that what you want is what you're going to get. This was all part of this magical way of viewing the world. Now, they didn't call it magic. As I said, they often spoke of spiritual science. One group that came out of this is Christian Science. Have you heard of Christian science? It exists today. It was formed in the 19th century and is one of these new thought groups. The idea is that through my mind, through my words, through my actions, I can control what happens. I can bring about healing. I can bring about prosperity. It all is is rooted in this idea that like attracts like. So if I think health, I'll get health. If I think prosperity, I'll get prosperity. And since words are simply the expression of those thoughts, those words are an important aspect of bringing these things to pass. This is the way this is the way many people thought of faith starting in the 19th century. But it's just magic brought into a new context. See, it's it's magic that's christianized and then It's given some scientific cause and effect, laws of the universe kind of language, but it's really just magic. So, they'll talk about, you know, the laws of healing or the laws of prosperity. Well, here's here's what happened. Once... New thought took hold in that, the country, and it still exists today. Um, Rhonda Byrne, she's from Australia, but she wrote a mega bestseller called The Secret. Do you remember that? Nobody remembers it. Well, Oprah had her on her show, and she said, everything, everything you wrote about, that's what I've been trying to say all these years on my program. So if you've heard Oprah, you've heard Rhonda Byrne. That's the secret. It's pure new thought. It's pure manipulating the world through mind. And so what happened, though, was it was called faith, and some Christians began to pick it up. I'll tell you one who did, Norman Vincent Peale. In his mega bestseller, another one, The Power of Positive Thinking, he actually quotes Ralph Waldo Trine, who was a famous new thought teacher. And he interpreted what Trine recommended, visualizing, speaking positive words. He interpreted that as faith. He called it positive thinking. And he said, we as Christians need to learn how to use positive thinking. Later, he wrote a book called Positive Imaging. And faith expresses itself as you have these positive pictures. So so you think health. You envision yourself healthy. And you attract health to yourself. It wasn't just Norman Vincent Peale, though. There was a Baptist preacher named E.W. Kenyon who picked all this up. And he was sort of Pentecostal, Baptist, traveling, evangelist healer. And he would go around and, and he would preach healing. And he said, the way you, you get healed is you have to confess the promises of God. You have to put your faith in that. No doubt, you put your faith and in God, and it's going to happen. Well, Norman Vincent Peale was followed more in the mainline tradition, E.W. Kenyon more in the very conservative biblical tradition. One follower of E.W. Kenyon, by the way, was a man named John Osteen. His son, Joel Osteen, pastors a rather large church in Houston today. And interestingly, Joel has followed his dad's teaching, the word of faith teaching, but he's kind of added Norman Vincent Peale in there too. So you see them both fused together. Now, I'm, I'm talking probably too long about this history, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that there's this way of seeing the universe that, that sees it as basically a spiritual mental entity that can be manipulated by our thoughts, the pictures in our head, the words that we speak. That is magic. But what some Christians have done is to take that, call it faith, and then read it into the Bible. And so every time the Bible talks about faith, they think it's talking about this kind of positive thinking, this kind of, ginning up of expectations, and that in order to receive anything from God, you need to have that kind of faith. They'll sometimes talk about using your faith. You have to learn how to use your faith. Now, if faith is trusting God, how do you use trust in God? But if faith is a spiritual force, which is what these people say, a power that's released in the universe through your thoughts and your words, well, then you can use your faith. In fact, God's not going to do anything for you. He's already provided everything. You've got the promises of Scripture. You need to use your faith. Now, let's finally go to Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's an interesting statement about faith that, that... points us in a different direction. It says in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, what strikes me about this is that not simply that I must have faith in order to please God, but that there's nothing here about this magical faith, this Power that's released through my words or thoughts or anything else. Rather, I must, I cannot please God without faith because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. It's to believe that God exists, not just any God, but the God revealed in Scripture. It's to believe that that God exists and to believe that when you come to that God, you're not wasting your time. When you seek something from that God, he hears you and that he'll answer. That if you earnestly seek him, he will be found by you. If you believe in that God and you turn to him in prayer, seeking that God, that's what faith is. It isn't trying to work up some picture in your head or maintain some positive mental attitude. It's always good to have a positive mental attitude, but the idea that 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 mental attitude can control the world, that's nonsense. That's magical thinking. No, we come to God and simply bring our request to him. Now, what, what this kind of faith is rooted in is not some metaphysical belief about the universe that it can be controlled through my actions I may call it faith, but it's basically magic, controlled through my action. It's not that, but it's simple trust in the character of God. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds.'" Until the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, this is very interesting because often Jesus says, I've read the scriptures to you in previous weeks, that according to your faith it will be done unto you. Jesus emphasized the importance of faith. There's no question about that. But here he doesn't use the word. He simply says, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, you're going to receive what you're seeking. That's what he says. That's because it's not just anybody coming to God with any kind of requests out of any sort of motivation. He's talking to his disciples. He's assuming the disciples are coming to God. They're coming with a sincerity. They believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Jesus is saying to them, if you come to God, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, it won't be in vain. It won't be in vain because your coming to him is what faith is all about. You see, it's not some magical power. It's simply turning to God. Now, in order to encourage his disciples and to encourage them to pray, which is the same thing as to encourage them in their faith, listen to what he says in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If you th- or, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There's no mystery here. There's no metaphysics. It's very, very simple. Very simple. It's just trusting the goodness of your Father. See, the problem when people start talking about faith is so often it becomes self-referential. It's always about me. Do I have enough faith? Am I positive enough? Have I cast out all doubt? It's all about ourselves. But you notice when Jesus is talking about coming to God, it's not all about us. It's about God. And my faith is rooted not in my positive mental attitude. My faith is rooted in the goodness of God. It's a whole different category. It's not metaphysics, it's relationship. That's all it is. And that becomes so clear in different stories in the Scripture. So, for example, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples. The other disciples are at the foot of the hill, and a man comes with his son. The son is possessed by a demon. He asks the disciples to cast the demon out. They can't we learn later is because of their little faith. And sometimes faith teachers seize on that and they say, oh, see, see, they didn't have the faith. They needed to do what we teach. You know, have this force of faith, this miracle working faith. They go on and on about it. But it's very interesting what actually happens in that story. Let me read it to you. Mark 9, verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Now stop there for just a minute. Everything is possible for one who believes. This is a favorite verse for some people because they feel believe there with their magical thinking. And they see this as a proof text for what they teach. Everything is possible if you learn to use your faith. You see, everything is possible if you think the right things and say the right things. But notice what actually happens. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And of course, Jesus then delivers his son. So here's a man who comes to Jesus. Jesus challenges him. Of course, everything's possible for one who believes. He goes, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. He's not an unbeliever. Jesus doesn't respond to unbelievers. We know that when he was in his hometown and he was met with apostia, unfaith, you might say. Um, He could do no miracle there because that unbelief was a turning away from him, a rejecting of him. It was a relational thing. Here, the man believes. Why else did he come? He believes, but he's struggling because he's a human being. He's struggling because he's not yet perfected. So he condemns his struggling faith by saying, I believe, but help my unbelief, using the word apostia. I do have faith, but help me with my unfaith. And what does Jesus do? Jesus answers him. Now listen, if faith is all about getting it right, if faith is all about thinking the right things, saying the right things, and that if you, if you let it slip, if it enters your mind that, wow, what if, what if I don't get healed? Or what if the miracle I seek isn't happening? If that's what faith requires, this man should not have received an answer. Because he's saying, I do believe, but then again, I'm not sure. Help me, Lord. Do You see the point there? So my father was diagnosed with cancer and told that he had less than a year to live. And indeed, in yes, less than a year, he passed away. He was a Christian. He didn't wear it on his sleeve, but he was a Christian. Um, but it wasn't something we talked about easily in my family. It was just the family dynamic. It was t- do you, some of you have families like that? It's not, it's not something that is easy to talk about. There's a lot of indirect kind of communication. But there's something about a terminal illness that will change that dynamic. And I remember uh, we got in the truck to drive into town to run some errand. It was just my dad and me. Everyone else was back at the house. And he was telling me that he was going to try this therapy and another therapy that was on offer. It was experimental. And he knew full well that there was no medical hope that it would heal his cancer but i remember him just saying you know who knows maybe it'll work and then he kind of inched up without sounding real pious about it but kind of inched up saying that you know he had really prayed and he was he was hoping for a miracle hoping that he would be cured and he talked with such an optimism you know <laughs> that for a moment i was thinking wow is this is this real faith or is this just magical thinking? What is it? You know, I wasn't quite sure, but I mean, he's talking real optimism, you know, just God can do miracles and he's hoping for a miracle and, and, and I'm hoping for a miracle. And then on a dime, he turns and he says, of course, you know, realistically, I know I probably have six, seven months. So what I'm working on, and he's, he's getting things ready for my mom. I'm working on this. I'm working on that, so everything will be okay when she's gone. And it was like he went from this kind of optimistic, maybe God will do a miracle, to, well, realistically, I know it's probably six or seven months. Now, some people are going to say, you know, that's just a contradiction. That's not faith. But I remember at the time being struck by how Genuine and authentic that faith was, really. It's a verbal contradiction, but it really wasn't because his stance was this God can heal. I'm asking him to heal. I trust God's goodness. Perhaps it will be, but even if it isn't, I know God is God. I I have things to do now to take care of my family before I go and he was at peace. I remember at his funeral, I characterized him as a happy warrior because he did everything he could to battle cancer. He really did fight, but he was a happy warrior. He wasn't afraid. And I think often what we call faith is really just magic, and magic, the application of magic, is just an expression of fear. We're saying we're trusting God, but we're not really trusting God. We're trying to get a handle on God. We're trying to make things happen. So what's it mean to really have faith? It means to come to God and believe you're not wasting your time, that God hears you, that God's so good that he won't abandon you. That's how Jesus characterized it, right? God's a father, he knows what you need even before you ask him. Have you watched... Some of The Crown, I mean, I don't know how many episodes. It's been, I think, 40 episodes or something over several seasons. It's a Netflix show. The Crown, it tells the story of Queen Elizabeth as a young queen all the way through. It's interesting, um, as she gets older, sometimes people will come to her and they will bring their problems to her things they're terribly worried about. And they'll just unload on her. And there's a phrase that shows up in different episodes that I really like. She'll say to them, leave it with me. And they'll be satisfied with that. They don't know what she's going to do. They just leave. And they leave it with her because they know that she cares about them. She's heard their concern and she'll act appropriately. She sees a bigger picture than they do. They just leave it with her. When we talk about faith, that's what we're talking about with God. We come to God and we leave it with him. Even when it comes to salvation, we are leaving it with God. We're putting our whole life into his hands. God, I'm yours. I'm trusting you. That's what I would appeal to you to do this morning. Whatever need you have, and if you need to be saved, bring yourself to God. Seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Bring your need to him and leave it with him. Trust him in that way. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you know the needs in this room and you know what what you are able to do. We know what you're able to do. Lord, we, we seek you for the impossible. We seek you for your blessing. We seek you to guide us. We seek you, Lord, to show yourself, God, We know you can, we know that you will according to your wisdom. And so that is our prayer. Lord, whatever the need, we know we can leave it with you. And we do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? And when this service concludes, I'm going to be in the front. Renee, can you hang around in the front here too? If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need him. You need him. I want to invite you to come immediately after the service. We'd like to talk with you and pray with you. It's amazing what God does in the life of a person who surrenders to him. Amen.